0: Hello there, and welcome to this course on the work of Blaise Pascal. Uh, in it, we will be delving into his book, Pensee, uh, exploring these fragments, uh, seeing how they are vital and alive and challenging and disturbing as much today as they were when Pascal penned them. Uh, in this introduction, I just want to kind of do a little bit of the foothill stuff, uh, describe the bringing together of Ponce, the different ways in which these fragments have been arranged, and outline um, a general theme of what this unfinished book might have looked like. So first of all, who is Blaise Pascal? Uh, I'm not going to say too much uh, in terms of biography, Uh, I'm always more interested in the thinking of a person. Uh, there's great stuff you can read online. Uh, if you want to know more about his family and his background, I mean, there's lots of interesting things there. Uh, he lost his mother when he was, I think three or four years old. He was brought up mostly by his father. Uh, he was a genius. That's a word that's thrown about a lot, but Pascal was a genius. Uh, he was one of the greatest thinkers of the 17th century. He was a great mathematician, a brilliant scientist, an incredible inventor. He's someone who gained a reputation in his day for being one of the most brilliant and insightful minds of his generation. And he's most famous for his religious and philosophical writings. Uh, Basically, he was always off and on. Interested in religion and he got more involved in the Catholic Church. But at a particular point in his life, he went through uh, a conversion. He wrote down what happened to him on a little piece of paper and then he transferred that to a manuscript that he carried in the inner seam of his jacket. And supposedly, if he changed jackets, he would take this testimony of his conversion uh, and put it into the new jacket so that it was always on his person. And then he kind of dedicated himself to uh, reflection on the human condition and on issues to do with faith. In terms of his religious writings, he spent some of his time uh, dedicated to uh, exploring an internal conflict within the Catholic Church between the Jesuits and the Jansenists. Pascal was a Jansenist. They were very much uh, the weaker of the two parties. And Pascal became the most famous uh, defender of their position. And then he also dedicated himself to giving a type of apologetics uh, concerning Christianity that he wanted to give to the reader, give to the wider public, as a way of trying to induce them into considering a life of faith. And that second thing is what we're going to be looking at primarily in this course. So in terms of a few things about Pensee is there was never a finished book. We don't even have a title for it. He basically wanted to do an apology for the Christian faith, which would offer a definition of Christianity and a defense of Christianity. Uh, It's called the Pensee. Uh, which kind of means thoughts or fragments, because what we're left with is a series of notes that he made. Uh, Now, since he wrote them, and since his death, they have been arranged in various ways by different authors. Uh, Sometimes they're arranged by topic. Uh, Sometimes they're arranged in broader themes. Uh, Sometimes they're arranged primarily in chronological order of when Pascal wrote them, uh, or in a way to try to imagine the finished manuscript that Pascal had in mind. Now, nobody very rarely one person who does a pure version of each of those. They're usually mixed in a little bit. Now, the version I'm going to use for the course is by the translator Creelshimer. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, And it's one of the most well-known translations, uh, and the way he goes about it is Pascal outlined 27 sections that he named. And so this translation lists those 27 uh, sections and the fragments that Pascal gathered together under those themes. And then there's a series of other fragments that were never gathered together. And so in Shimmers translation, uh, that's the second part where he kind of gives them headings and outlines various topics. And in addition to that, there's also some fragments that were probably not made for the finished book, uh, but were also found among Pascal's notes, and so they're also in the book as well. One is a section on miracles. Interestingly, Pascal was very interested in, in the miraculous, partly because of his own conversion, which was a type of miraculous conversion. And also he thought, uh, you know, he witnessed a miracle whenever his sister's eye was healed, uh, whenever a relic was touched on it. There was a, an issue with her eye. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but she'd had this problem for about three years and it cleared up. Uh, and so Pascal had a fascination with the realm of miracles. And then also... He famously wrote these 18 letters called the Provincial Letters, which were letters uh, jumping into this debate between the Jansenists and the Jesuits, and there are some notes that were probably meant for uh, those letters. So that's what we've got. We've got this compilation of various topics, uh, say 27 that were actually uh, outlined by Pascal, and another dozen or more that weren't explicitly gathered together and with that we uh, can begin to imagine what this finished work would look like so that's what I'm going to offer you now I'm going to offer you my reading of one way in which that finished work might have been constructed Uh, one that is faithful I believe to Pascal's vision and what he wrote Uh, the way I'm going to go about it is I'm going to talk about uh, well something that he talks about very clearly. He talks about three orders. The order of the body, the order of the mind, and the order of the heart. So I'll talk about each of those and uh, kind of structure the book in relation to them. Uh, so what is the order of the body? And I should say as well that he thinks that all of these three orders have their place and they give us insight they have limitations uh, but also that they shouldn't be confused we shouldn't judge something that should be judged by reason at the level of the heart uh, we shouldn't judge something that is connected to the body uh, in relation to the mind that these all have their different places and we'll kind of look at what those are. So the first realm is the realm of the body. And what Pascal means by that, in a way, is anything that's about the carnal, uh, about power and wealth, about success, materiality. And the most successful uh, version of that, maybe today we would say like the CEO is an example. Someone, the CEO of a big corporation who is able to eat at the finest restaurants, uh, have a private jet, have a private yacht, Uh, have beautiful homes, uh, be able to uh, engage in all the pleasures of the flesh. So that's the realm of the body, the the pleasures of the flesh. Now, Pascal uh, talks about this order um, and tries to isolate something that we discover in this realm, not just whenever we're unsuccessful uh, in the pleasures of the body, but even when we are successful in having the things that we would like. Uh, what well, Pascal, and this is what he's most famous for in many ways, uh, because it's you might be thinking, why are people so interested in Pensee if it's really an apologetic book for Christianity? Why has it got a place as one of the great works of literature, one of the great works of philosophy, uh, whenever it's kind of like a a William Lee and Craig uh, attempt to justify Christianity and a a very literal reading of Christianity um, that Pascal has. But part of the reason lies in how beautifully and deeply and insightfully he describes the human condition. So some of the things which we will talk about next week, uh, some of the things he articulates very beautifully are the ways in which he talks about how our Bodily existence is one of inconsistency, boredom, and anxiety. So we often things are inconsistent. Sometimes things are going good. The next day they're going badly. One day you're healthy. The next day you're not. You're young, then you're old. Um, you can feel lots of different emotions in your body. Uh, we can feel often like we're on a type of roller coaster. Like life rarely stays the same for long periods of time. Uh, boredom is something that we can often face, um, or anxiety, right? These are human experiences. And what Pascal does is he looks at how we give ourselves to all sorts of distractions in life uh, as a way to avoid the reality of this, as a way to avoid a confrontation with our own finitude, with our own selfishness, with our own ignorance, Uh, these are things that are very difficult for us to look at. And so in many ways, Pascal says, whether you're a king or a peasant, you're going to enjoy hunting. You're going to enjoy playing sports. You're going to enjoy going for walks with friends. But anything that stops you from sitting in a chair, in the silence, reflecting on the human condition. Because if you do that for too long, you generally start to suspect that you might be more unhappy than you think, that you might be engaged or you might be experiencing a type of misery, um, and also that you might be more wicked than you imagine. So Pascal has all these beautiful reflections where, for example, he'll say that people would prefer to be thought brave than to be brave. Uh, You know, so like we kind of think we want we're moral people, but we would prefer people to think that we're moral than actually being moral, because what we care about more is the fantasy than the reality. Um, He talks about how uh, we want to distract ourselves because um, if we're silent for too long, we realize we're going to die. We realize that we're not here for long, that the people we love will die. And these are very difficult and traumatic things. And he kind of says the more success you have at the level of the body, the more distractions and divertisements you have. So he says a king can have like a jester whose whole job is to distract the king, right? That the, as someone who is powerful, has so many things that are designed to distract them, whether it's fine food, whether it's holidays, extreme sports, Uh, tickets to, you know, very difficult events to get into. Whatever it is, uh, the richer you are, um, the more you can distract yourself. But ultimately, ultimately, uh, there's the dimension to human subjectivity that that is quite tragic. um, And the carnal kind of avoids. But Pascal lays this out so beautifully that in a way he wants the reader to... Uh, no longer be self-deceived, the reader to begin to realize that there is anxiety in them, there is boredom, that they are afraid of their finitude, to strip away that, um, that self-deception that we have, uh, that repression, to lay bare the human condition. And uh, You could say that a strategy for this, there's a reason for this, because he wants the reader to think that Christianity, which he's presenting in this book, right, that Christianity, while it may not be true, it would be lovely if it was. Right. He wants to make Christianity appealing. So he would argue that Christianity appeals to us because it has an answer to our finitude, saying that we can live forever, enter into eternity. Um, it has an answer to our... Uh, misery that we can have a state of peace that we can have a state of beatitude of of a kind of like contentment and happiness uh, it it promises that we can overcome our darkness of heart that we can be moral be charitable be loving right so even if you don't believe you know, in Christianity, and at this point, he doesn't want to convince you of anything. He just wants to say, he wants to basically present Christianity in such a way that we would go, oh, I, I wish it were true. And he attempts to do that by showing that he thinks that it, it has a better insight into the human condition. So his whole thing is this understanding of the human condition that he is expressing, he says, comes straight, straight out of the new testament and the writers uh the, of the church right so this understanding of the human condition arises out of this tradition and provides an answer to it so then secondly we come to the order of the mind and the order of the mind is rationality so for pascal this is you know this is the realm of uh, if the first is the realm of the ceo this is the realm of the scholar of the scientist, of the academic, of the inventor, and Pascal has great respect for obviously the the mind, right? As someone who uh, innovated uh, and was one of the greatest minds of his generation, of his century. Uh, but what Pascal wants to do here is he wants to he wants to. Uh, look at I suppose two positions of rationality that were very popular at the time and remain popular today which he calls you know skepticism on one side and dogmatism on the other so in terms of skepticism the the philosophical position that we can't really know anything right that we have to be skeptical of all of our knowledge claims uh, which he thinks there's some deep truth to that, right? So he's sensitive to Like at one point in Pense, he talks about how people are never really wrong. Whenever someone's looking at something, they often see something true, but it's just one angle. And instead of coming in and saying, oh, you're wrong, what you want to do is go, but look at it from these other angles as well to expand the knowledge. So there's something very true for Pascal and skepticism, but... He wants to expand the angles um, and kind of critique it by, uh, not by saying it's wrong, but by showing that it's got a limited perspective. Then on the other side, there's dogmatism, or what we might today call scientism, things like logical positivism, or the idea that the only things that we can know are things that we can um, prove rationally or empirically. And that you know we have insight into the nature of reality, and that anything that cannot be proved by the mind, by reason, or by empiricism, is ultimately meaningless. And Pascal wants to argue that uh, there are the, the heart has reasons that reason does not know. There are things that we believe and. Uh, ways that we act in the world that, you know, we don't orient in terms of pure reason, that there's things we cannot know and yet remain vitally important and vitally true. So, for example, and we're jumping a little bit ahead here, but uh, you might say that uh, in terms of, say, human rights, you can't really rationally um, justify human rights uh, as something that is from a purely rational basis something that's true. We might, with through reason, be able to make human rights internally coherent, reflect on them in a deep way. But there's something about believing that you know humans are uh, should be um, given dignity, and uh, we should value people um, absolutely. That is a type of something that we stand on. Um, Something that we believe, but not in the realm or the order of pure reason. So Pascal outlines skepticism and scientism, and he wants to uh, also show how reason brings us to these really interesting contradictions. Uh, One of the most beautiful pieces of writing in Ponce is when he talks about how great the human being is and how wretched. The human being is. And he kind of shows that these are both completely true. So, in a modern sense, uh, if you take someone like uh, Stephen Hawking, who you know, said that humans are just basically, we're just a chemical scum on a tiny rock that is floating in basically infinite space uh, among billions upon billions upon trillions of other rocks. So from that perspective, you know, we are here for just a moment, a speck, not even a blink in the kind of cosmic time scale. But then on the other side, um, someone like uh, David um, Deutsch is it Deutsch, uh, a scientist who um, he talks about how gr- great human beings are, because on the other side, you can say, "Well, actually, uh, when we look at the history of the planet, the planet Earth. It's mostly been dead and completely inhospitable to life. And only in this very tiny moment um, uh, has kind of conscious life arisen, reason arisen. Have we kind of got to this stage in development? But forget about the history of the planet, of which that's just a moment. When we look out at the universe, we see that it seems to be mostly dark, absolutely cold and absolutely empty. As far as we can see, life is actually very rare, right? There's not a lot of life out there, right? Um, And conscious life seems to be, would be even rarer and self-conscious life would be even rarer. And reason would be rarer still where self-consciousness becomes reasonable. And then where reason is able to develop technology uh, would be even rarer. And when you start to build that um, and you start to get a sense of, oh my goodness, actually, this, what we are, that's actually quite special, you know? Um, and the idea that we are, we are a fragment of the universe perceiving itself, uh, even if just for a moment, how incredible is that and how incredible that you who's watching this are participating in this self-awareness of the universe now Pascal doesn't want to say either's wrong he wants to say they're both right that that's kind of the human condition and that's where reason gets us it's we are it's a formidable uh, incredibly... Um, disturbing and exciting uh, position that we hold, being both wretched and great. Uh, he also, in a similar vein, he writes about how tiny we are in relation to the size of the universe, but how massive we are in relation to the universe within. Uh, Pascal was at a time whenever telescopes and microscopes were telling us more and more about the macro and the micro. And so for Pascal to be human is to inhabit this really interesting space between two infinities, an abyss that is hugely above us and an abyss that is hugely within us. Now, again, the purpose of Pascal, because he's writing this defense of Christianity, the purpose of... uh, explicating this order of reason of the mind is because he now wants the reader to he wants to convince the reader that christianity is reasonable right so if if in the order of the body he wants the reader to come away feeling oh my goodness you've described the human condition so well i see myself in that description Right? One of the most beautiful descriptions of the human condition that exists within literature. Right, so the the reader kind of goes, "Oh my goodness, I see myself in this description," and Christianity offers an answer to that. Right, so in the the order of the body, you at least go, "I wish it was true." In the order of the mind, Pascal offers reasons why he believes that Christianity is not just something that we should hope to be true, but actually has a lot of evidence behind it. So what Pascal endeavors to do is to show how Christianity is more reasonable than the alternatives. And at the time that he was writing, the alternatives were the Islamic religion and skepticism and dogmatism. So Pascal takes a lot of time to develop reasons why the reader would not believe Christianity was true, but would see it as a reasonable position. Um, And that's important. So he's not trying to prove something here, but he does want to show that not only would it be uh, good if Christianity were true, it's also not unreasonable to think that it might be true. And then this brings us to, you know, Pascal's central drive. Uh, And this brings us to his most famous uh, writings, namely The Wager, where Pascal, if he's successful, right, this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to want faith to be true. (laughs) He's trying to want you to get to a point where you can intellectually think it might be, right? And then something else has to happen, because faith for Pascal cannot be justified at the level of the body and it can't be justified at the level of reason. All you can do at those levels is clear obstacles like John the Baptist, clear a way for the message. And then he says what the reader uh, has to consider is whether to bet on the life of faith and particularly the Catholic church, Christianity. Uh, Now, Pascal is uh, among all the other things that he he was famous for. He is one of the fathers of probability theory. And for Pascal, uh, life involves risk and decision always uh, without really knowing exactly what we should do. We live in the world of probabilities. We're always gambling when we choose to do things, even when we choose to go out or stay in, when we choose to go out with one person over another or nobody. Uh, These are all decisions we make without really knowing exactly what we should do. Decisions we make in fear and trembling. And so Pascal, at this point, if the reader is convinced, he says to the reader, then bet on this, bet on Christianity, right? Bet that it's true. Engage in it. And at this point, uh, he draws out what he calls the machine. And the machine is Pascal's name for kind of the dimensions of being human that we're not conscious of. Right, which in psychoanalysis might be called drives or, you know, in animals, instincts. But Pascal says that we are largely machines. There's so much about us that we're not really conscious of. And so Pascal is the founder of uh, the fake it till you make it, right? Uh, whenever people say, well, if you don't feel good and you're depressed, get up and go for a walk. You might not feel that you want to, but just push yourself. Uh, engage in the rituals. Uh, go out to the gym. Uh, you may not want to go, but if you start going to the gym on a regular basis or you start going for a run on a regular basis, you kind of train yourself uh, uh, you train the machine and then you kind of the mind follows then you start to enjoy it, you start to like it and Pascal says, "So make this wager uh, you have to just take a leap um, it 's the most it 's the most sensible wager to make that 's his argument. And he says, once you do, well, then do the things that uh, the saints do. So if the realm, the the kind of successful person of the bodily realm is the CEO and the successful person of the mental realm is the scholar, the mind, then the successful person of the heart is the saint, right? The heart is the realm of wisdom, the realm of morality, uh, the realm of beatitude, and he says, there are people who have that, and a thing I should have mentioned is you know for for people whose uh, motivation is the body and the bodily, uh, everything is in relation to that, and you know how to get more money, how to have more experiences in life, how to go on more holidays, how to experience more uh, extreme sports, whatever it is you want to give yourself to devote yourself to the life of the uh, the hedonist, right? Um, but if you're a scholar, if you dedicate your life to the mind, you really don't care about that stuff, right? There's lots of intelligent people, uh, scholars and scientists who, you know, have some some uh, carnal success, right? And have some financial success, but it's not what drives them. Not if you're a person of the mind, what drives you is ideas. You what lights you up is not going on a holiday to to rock climb. It's a book that's come out or an article. It's a conversation you can have. That's what that's what motivates you. And uh, from the the two orders, the the other one seems a bit silly, right? The person who's who's in the bodily order, they don't really see the value of that. Don't get enjoyment from that. And the person in the intellectual order, they look at people on Instagram, for example, always going on holidays and doing all this stuff, and they're exhausted by it. They just want to sit down on a nice comfy sofa and read a book, right? Well, then the order of the heart is a different order again. It's the order of people who are at peace with themselves, who they may like to read. They may be looked after by someone who's wealthy, um, so they may have a little or a lot. Um, they may be smart they might not be but that's not what motivates them they are people of charity they are people of peace and they seem to have a loving heart and pascal sees that's really the realm of grace the realm of religion and pascal is saying take the wager and do what the saints do these people who seem to have faith what do they do oh they go. They meditate, they go on retreats, they pray, they give alms to the poor, uh, they, they read um, some of the great mystics, whatever it is, what, what is it they do? Well, do those things as well, just do them. Now, Pascal doesn't think that by doing this, you will get faith, because for Pascal, faith is um, the work of God. But he says, at worst, at worst, if you do this, if you make the bet and you train the machine, uh, at worst, you will be a better citizen. You will be better to the people around you. You'll be more content. You'll um, uh, have a more calm demeanor. So at the very worst, the very worst, you'll be a better person, right? And at the best, you will experience a change in heart. Something will you will undergo this transformation, this rebirth that Pascal wrote, you know, his own rebirth and put it into the inner lining of his jacket. You will experience that as well. So that's one way of pulling together all of these fragments of Pascal and try to put them kind of in an order. Now, that's not what the chapters would be. I don't think he would have written section 1, the body, section two, the mind, section three, the heart, necessarily. But that's definitely a structure that you see. In the body, he outlines basically uh, the how on a bodily level, even when you're successful. And he was successful, Pascal, in worldly terms. So he wasn't writing this as someone who wasn't successful, right? It was like the, the guy who wrote Ecclesiastes. He's writing this as someone who Got fame in his lifetime and honor and all of the things that would be valued at the time in France and in the world. He got all of that. And he says, even when you get it all, he says there's something about the human condition, which is one that that has anxiety and boredom and and inconsistency and finitude built into it. Right? So he does that in order to set up the so wouldn't you want it to be true that. You know there is everlasting life, and that we can have a change of heart, that we can be good. Then the order of reason, um, again potentially in this imagined structure, but but definitely it's in Pascal. He wants to go. Reason is incredible, but also reason tells us how small we are. It tells us how great we are, and how small we are. And it also tells us, if we look at it, that faith is reasonable. That Christianity could be true. It doesn't tell you it is. Doesn't tell you it is, but it tells you it could be. And then the realm of the heart, open yourself up, bet on it, train yourself, open your heart, and potentially, as I say, at the worst, you become a better citizen, and at the best, your heart is transformed. Uh, Now, I want to finish by just saying, why, again, is, is this book so central in the the literature of the world why is it so important why does it speak to people so much today not in the religious world right this is not just a book at all that is just read by people who are confessional christians in fact i don't know if it's that popular within that Um, it's more popular uh, in in the kind of the intellectual world Uh, so i'll give you two reasons for that and then i'll finish this introduction Uh, Well, the first is that Pascal foreshadows uh, the insights of psychoanalysis. So there's something in Pascal that he's a kind of proto-psychoanalyst. He has uh, an insight into the human condition that is as powerful as you find in Nietzsche, as uh, searingly um, brilliant and incisive as you find in Freud. So Pascal has that, uh, and in many ways, to say, foreshadows that. So people read him, and probably this is the main reason why people read Pascal, because of his insight into the human condition. But secondly, he also foreshadows existentialism. In his description of the wager, he brings to mind uh, later thinkers, particularly someone like Sartre, but also someone like Camus, He captures this idea that to be human is to be, in the words of Sartre, condemned to freedom. So for Sartre, the reason why we have anxiety is because we don't know what to do in the world. We're free. Uh, Even if you believe that God is speaking to you and telling you to do something, you still have to decide whether that's really God or whether that's a demon or whether that's just something playing in your mind. Right? So even, even when you think you have certainty, you still have this freedom to decide to how to interpret that certainty. And so for Sartre, there is a sense in which anxiety comes from our experience of freedom, which is not dissimilar to psychoanalysis, but it has a slightly different reading of anxiety, um, uh, which we'll maybe bring up later on in the course. But, but you see in Pascal this notion that is later developed in French thinking and beyond, that to be human is to have to act in uncertainty and unknowing, to act decisively. Uh, Sartre talks about bad faith, which is the person who pretends not to act, who tries not to be decisive, who tries to somehow kind of go through life without um, being resolute, uh, and this, say Sartre calls this bad faith because ultimately it's a lie because even choosing not to act is choosing so you have within Pascal this, this existentialist dimension uh, not to mention the very way that the pensée comes to us a lot of existentialists like uh, Gabriel Marcel wrote in fragmentary ways because they didn't think that a systematic approach uh, captured the depth of human existence, and Pascal has this. He, obviously, we've just left with fragments, but also Pascal is very good at saying that you you don't go systematically uh, whenever thinking about the human heart and faith. You have to go at it in different angles and different ways. Eloquence is not just speaking the truth, but saying it in a way that is attractive and interesting. Uh, And also um, Pascal had the occasional pseudonym, which again is something we see really drawn out in the work of Kierkegaard, who uses pseudonyms all the time. For Pascal, he would sometimes write anonymously or under a different name for a variety of reasons sometimes maybe humility, sometimes because he didn't want the work to be taken seriously just because of his name. Pascal didn't do it much, but it's there, and as I say, it's developed in later existentialists. So the reason why Ponce remains so important is because of these insights into what it is to be human. And a lot of people do kind of like simply ditch a lot of the more religious and apologetic stuff in in the work but there's some really good stuff in there some of it yes uh would be outdated now and um uh but actually a lot of it has some real insight as well so we're going to delve into um those elements of the text as well uh and finally then what i want to do is i want to give a kind of rereading of pascal and see um Uh, what we can bring out of it uh, using a kind of paro-theological lens. So there you go. That was an introduction, just letting you know about the book, uh, the structure, um, and an overall sense of what Pascal is doing. Um, I'll see you in the next video.